Hello, and welcome to the Southeast Students Podcast. Here you can find all of the teachings from our special series in middle school group and high school group. Our goal as a ministry is to guide young people into a personal relationship with Jesus and train them to become like Him. We pray that these teachings help you to do just that. You're listening to our study through the book of Acts. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. Tell me what we talked about last time. Um, so Paul was there with all like, the disciples and stuff, and his, his friends. And he was, was going to leave the next day, but it was like Sunday, and they stayed up like, oh, yeah. super late through the night just talking about God because As you I mean, do. that was more important to Paul than getting sleep for his journey. Amen. And then uh, one dude made a stupid decision and fell asleep on the windowsill, <laughs> and God saved him through his stupidity. And uh, they kept talking until the morning. It's true. Fell out the window, fell three stories out the window because he fell asleep, hit the ground, died. And then, yeah, Paul resurrects him. Pretty crazy story. Sometimes you just can't make the stuff up in the Bible. It's for real. Um, But that's exactly right. We talked about Paul's continued missionary journey. Um, Shane, could you do me a favor? Can you go around to that back computer and then there's a little map on the screen? Can you just tap on it? The map is back. Because last time we talked about... Do you see it? Scroll up to the top? Okay, great. So last time we talked about Paul's continuing his missionary journey. So what we saw last time is he went down all the way to here into Corinth. He ministered in the churches. He stayed here for three months. And then he goes back up. He was going to go this way down to Jerusalem. But there was going to be there was an assassination plot and he couldn't go this way. And so it's was like, well, fine. Well, I'll go through land. So he goes back up the way he came. He came to Troas. That's where it says on the map, Paul restores life to young Eutychus, poor Eutychus, who fell out the window and died. And then it continues on from there in this chapter. So that's where we're at. Um, So picking up in verse 13 of chapter 20. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day to, I think it's pronounced like Chios or something crazy when I looked it up in Blue Letter Bible, which I was not expecting. But anyway, the next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So Paul and his crew, they leave Troas. Everyone else except him gets on the ship. So they're all like saying goodbye because they were going to have their last day like we talked about um, there at Troas. Paul actually goes by himself on land. Luke doesn't tell us why Paul did this, but it could be that it was actually a shorter trip. So if you look at they would have to go from Troas all the way around that guy to get to Assos. Paul just walks it. So it's probably actually shorter for him. He could probably walk it in like 10 hours or less, so pretty short. Um, But it also gives Paul alone time, which he probably wanted. Uh, he probably wanted some time to spend with the Lord because as we're about to find out, things are going to get really hard for Paul and Paul knows they're about to get really hard. So all the more reason for him to spend time with Jesus. And then when I was reading Warren Wiersbe's commentary, he said those things and then he also said maybe he needed the exercise, which I think is very funny. He's like, even like inspired apostles need to take care of their bodies. And I'm like, it's a good point. So he needed the little jog. But he goes down that way and then they pick him up at Assos and then they keep going. So they go from Assos to Mytilene, past Chios to Samos, and then finally to Miletus. Paul decides not to spend time in Ephesus, though. 
Does any of you guys remember the things that happened in Ephesus? There's some on the map that will probably tell you, but... Yeah, that, he got kicked out of the synagogue there, so that did happen. He taught there for like a couple months. Anything else? Some crazy stuff happened in Ephesus. That one they, like, riot, talking, like, shouting for two hours? Yep, great as Artemis of the Ephesians, over and over and over again, two hours, yep. Anything else? There's a pretty crazy one you guys are forgetting. The exorcism? Yeah. No, that was the one, yeah. Where they burned all the books. They burned all the books there, too? Also, where they were like... Oh, yeah. And they... The devil, like, you know, like, stripped them off the clothes. Yeah, beat up those guys, and they ran away. Yep, that happened as well. Yep. Yep. Excellent job, guys. You remember, like, a bunch of the stuff that happened there. A lot of stuff happened in Ephesus because Paul was there for, like... Two, he's three years, he's going to say at the end of the chapter. He spent three years ministering in Ephesus. That's longer than he ministered anywhere. But he skips it. He doesn't skip it because he's mean to them and doesn't want to hang out with them. He skips it. Probably it wouldn't have been a short visit. He loves those people, so he probably couldn't have pulled himself away. Uh, and he's really trying to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover, which already happened like weeks ago. So he's running out of time. So he's like, okay, I got to make it to Jerusalem by Pentecost. Um, but Paul doesn't want the Ephesians to be left like without anything. And so he invites all the elders of the churches to come meet him down there at Miletus. So it's just a little short jaunt. And he's like, yo, I can't come to you, but you guys can come to me. So they all come down to here and they meet him there. And he's going to give him basically one last speech. Um, these people, they're called elders here. They're basically pastors. So they're pastors probably of small house churches in the area. And so this is like the only time in the Bible, or in, sorry, not the only time in the Bible. It's the only time in Acts that you'll see Paul talking to like believers, let alone believers in a church like this, leadership. Normally he's preaching the gospel to like people who aren't saved. So this is kind of a different tone for Paul, and it sounds a little different. It actually sounds a lot like his letters, if you read the letters in the New Testament, because he's writing to Christians. So that's what we're going to jump into here. But the question I want you guys to ponder while we go through this sermon, there's a lot of stuff going on here. That I won't have time to get into all of it. But the question I want you guys to be thinking of is, why does Paul keep following Jesus? Like, why does he continually go through all this hardship and all these things just to follow the Lord? So be thinking through that as we go. But verse 18, And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul starts the message and he starts pointing to himself as an example. He's not trying to be bragging. He's trying to point to himself as an example of what it should look like for someone to follow Jesus. Um, Paul has that famous line in the New Testament where he says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's kind of what's happening here. He's like, listen, I follow Jesus for reals, and this is what it looks like. And he's talking about how from the first day he got to Ephesus, he served the Lord with humility and with tears and, and with trials, which is kind of an interesting thing to say. He served the yes, Seth. Oh, that's okay. We, we're at my latest. We know where we're at. We don't need to know anymore. But... 
He served the Lord in humility because he didn't go around boasting about himself or like, yo, I'm an apostle, please serve me. He actually went around serving other people. He was putting others before himself. That's what Jesus does. And then he says he served with tears and in trials. That's because things weren't always easy for Paul. Uh, he had to say hard things to people a lot. You'll see that a lot. I mean, even here he's going to tell them some hard things. But if you ever read Paul's letter, specifically, we just went through 1 Corinthians. How many of you guys were sitting in Sundays when we went through 1 Corinthians? Some of you were, yeah. Paul says some really hard things to them. Some of which you might be like, wow, bro, really rude. He doesn't do that because he's trying to be a jerk. He says it because he loves them and he needs to rebuke them and point them to Jesus. So that's why there's tears and there's hardships. And on top of like having to say hard things, he goes through hard things too. There's a lot of persecution in his life. And quite frankly, everywhere he goes, people hate him all the time. But despite this, he keeps going. Like he doesn't change his message. So Paul is basically like, um, he did not shrink back from declaring to them anything that was profitable. He's like, I said all of it. I said the whole gospel message. Even though it got me into trouble, I kept saying it. Verse 22. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. That's so cool. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul's like, listen, not only has my ministry been hard over the past several years, um, but it's also about to, it's going to stay hard. It's going to get hard. Apparently, the Holy Spirit has told him as he travels from city to city that he's going to face afflictions when he gets to Jerusalem and he's going to be in prison. He's going to be thrown in jail. But Paul doesn't care. He's like, I'm still going anyway. So, like, the Holy Spirit literally told him, yo, when you get there, they're going to beat you up and they're going to throw you in jail, just so you know. And he's like, great, sign me up. It's like he keeps going. He does this because he's way too in love with Jesus and he's way too convicted by the Holy Spirit to just disobey him. He can't do that. Like he loves the Lord too much and that's why he says he's constrained by the Spirit. It's the love of God within him and he can't not listen to the Holy Spirit living within him. He's like, I have no choice. This is what I have to do. And he loves to do it, so he keeps going forward. This is super cool. He says his life literally isn't valuable to him if he can't use it to preach the gospel. Like, if I don't get to preach the gospel, my life's not worth anything. Like, that's a pretty bold statement to say. There's a lot of good things in life that I have that I li like. Like, I like to play video games. I like to eat Taco Bell. I like all those things. And it's like, man. But Paul's like, listen, even if I don't get to do any of those things, sorry, their Taco Bell looks so good today, and I keep thinking about it. But, dude, and Zelda. I love playing Zelda. Like, I love playing video games. All those things. Like, anyways. Back... I do like Nintendo consoles. But all those things are like, I love those things. But Paul is like, listen, my life means literally nothing if I don't get to preach Jesus. Like, that's where value comes from for him. And as a result of that, he doesn't care what happens to him. It's like, whatever. As long as I get to preach the gospel, I'm good. Super cool. Um, verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul gives the Ephesian elders some bad news. This is the last time they're ever going to see him, like ever. This is probably because Paul knows that things are about to get real bad when he gets to Jerusalem, and he's like, just so you know, you're not going to see me again. This is the last time we get to speak. 
Uh, we're going to find out in the next chapter he thinks he might die. He says in the next chapter, he says, I'm not only willing to suffer, I'm willing to die for the name of Jesus. So it's like, he thinks he might die. Yeah. Um, but th- for, picture yourself as the Ephesians for a second, guys. This is really important. Because, like, they spent three years together. Like, they loved Paul. And he loved them. Like, they went through all those crazy things together. Um, and they did ministry together. They shared their lives they had meals. They all watched Eutychus fall out the window. Those kind of things bond people, you know? It's like they bond you together. But, like, man, imagine, like, picture in your mind your closest friend, like the person you're closest to. Like, man, I can go to them with anything. I love them. They're my favorite person. Like, picture them. Imagine hearing that you're never going to see them again, ever. Like, that's the end. It's over. Like, I want you to sit there for a second because that's what Paul is essentially saying here. He spent three years. That's longer than anywhere he's ever ministered. He's like, I'm not going to see you again. This is it. Those are the emotions that they're feeling right now. It's like, crap, man. Like, this is the end. And even though Paul knows this, again, I'm coming back to this, he's still going. He's like, listen, even though I'm going to suffer there, even though I'm going to get thrown in jail, even though I'm going to lose these friends and I'm never going to see them again, I'm going forward. Even though following the Lord is going to make things harder for him, it's not just that life sucks and like it's outside of the will of the Lord. Like this is the will of the Lord and it's hard. Even though that's hard for him, he's still going. But next Paul says this really interesting phrase. He tells them that he's innocent of the blood of all, which is like a really weird thing to just throw in there. What is he talking about? Do you guys have any ideas what he's saying? He's innocent of the blood of all. Why even mention that? Any ideas? Takers? Yes. Yeah, but why does that make him innocent of their blood if he preaches the whole thing? Here's what Paul's saying. This is really interesting because he's saying he's like, he taught the whole gospel to them. That means it's not his fault if they reject it. That's basically what he's saying. He didn't just tell the Ephesians what they wanted to hear. He's not just like, oh, God just wants you to be happy. God wants you to have the Ferrari in every dream you've ever had. Like, that's not true, right? Like, he doesn't give you whatever you want all the time. That's not who the Lord is. He didn't say, oh, God doesn't care about your sin. He actually told them, listen, you need to repent of your sin because that's what Jesus says and come and follow him. There's grace and there's mercy for you, but you have to repent. You have to turn from your sin. And he told them the truth of God's word, even when it was hard. And so this sounds super harsh. And when I wrote it out, I was like, holy crap, is that really what he's saying? He's basically saying, listen, guys, if you die and you go to hell, that's not my fault. Like, I told you everything you need to know. Like, if you reject it, that's not on me because I preached the gospel to you. And so now it's between you and the Lord. Super heavy. But this is why we preach the whole gospel. Because what's the opposite of that? If Paul doesn't preach the whole gospel, if he doesn't share everything with them, and he just says what they want to hear, their blood is on his hands because he knows the gospel. It's like having, like, the cure to, like, solve, like, a disease that, like, plagues the world. Like, if you had the cure to cancer and you had it and you knew about it and you just held it back, you'd be guilty of the deaths of so many people, right? Because you knew it and you didn't tell them. So it's like, oh, well, I didn't kill them. It's like, but you didn't tell them that their lives could be saved or that they were even in jeopardy. This is the same thing here. It's like when we know the gospel, it's our duty. It's our responsibility to share it. So that's what Paul's saying. He's like, listen, I did my responsibility. I shared the gospel with you. Paul's intense, guys. If you ever wondered, like, he doesn't play any games. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So Paul tells all the leaders to pay careful attention to the church. Uh, This section is specifically dedicated because they're pastors, right? So the Holy Spirit's called them to be leaders. Uh, Not only should they pay careful attention to how they live, which he mentions, if you're a leader, you should, and all of us should, really, we should all pay attention to how we live. But also, if you're a leader, you should also pay attention to how the flock is doing. They're using shepherd terminology. That's something that Jesus would use. He calls himself the good shepherd. It's basically like they're leading the people and they're responsible for feeding them and caring for them like a shepherd does and for protecting them. It's the responsibility of every pastor to teach and to love and to protect the people that God's placed them in charge of. So Paul says that after he leaves, that things are also going to get really hard for the Ephesians. It's not just like, my life's going to suck, but you guys are going to be great. It's like, man, things are about to get really hard for them too. Because there's going to be people who come in from outside the church and really scary from inside the church that are going to teach things that are not true. And they're going to lead people away from Jesus. He's like, you need to be aware of this. He doesn't really say how he knows this. He just knows. I think it's just what the devil does. When the Lord is moving somewhere, this is what happens. Like, go to a church anywhere. And if you ask them, like, if they're genuinely following the Lord and you ask them, you ever had someone, like, I don't know, come and try and divide the church? I almost guarantee you they will say yes. Because that's what happens. Like, the devil just works like that. And it's a pastor's job to protect people from this. To protect the sheep of the flock of God. Just like a shepherd protects their flock from, like, wild animals and wolves, like, pastors protect their people from false teaching and from divisive people who would seek to split up the church. That doesn't mean they don't love those people, because they do. It's, there's also, like, maybe they're people of God as well. Maybe they're actual believers. But what they have to do to protect is they teach all of God's word, even when it's hard. They correct people in love. So when someone's out of line, like, bro, you can't do that. That's out of line. Like, that's not following what the Lord would have. Um, and they sacrificially love the people in the church, which means they love them and they sacrifice for them, even if they're just total jerks. <laughs> like, not like being tolerant of their sin if they're being rude to other people, but pastors are called to love even unlovable people and like really point them to Jesus. It's not an easy job, but that's what God's called them to do. And again, I want you to notice this. The AC kicked on. Um, Paul's promising that their lives are gonna get harder because they're following Jesus. It's not that their lives are going to get hard because they're disobeying him. Their lives are actually harder because they are following Jesus. Verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And so even though things are going to get hard for the church in Ephesus, Paul trusts that God is able to take care of them. He's like, man, the Lord's got you. He's like, even though he's leaving, he's confident that when he leaves, everything will be okay because it was really the Lord doing the work anyway. So when he leaves, they also are filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to build them up with his grace and his truth. Verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul goes back to talking about himself again. He's like, hey guys, I didn't preach to you to get stuff from you. I didn't preach so I can get your money. I didn't want your clothes. I didn't want any of that stuff. 
I preached to take care of you. He says that his hands provided for his own needs. Do you guys know what he's talking about here? The one and only Dalen often talked about how Paul did this. He does something to provide for himself. What is it? He tent makes. That's exactly it. He makes tents to provide for his own needs. He didn't have to do that. He could have just been like, yo, I'm an apostle and I preach the word of God. Give me money. Like, I deserve it. The Bible literally says that he deserves it, that a worker's worth their pay. And if they're preaching the gospel, that they deserve to be paid for it. But Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't because he wants to serve others. And he's like, even though I have the right to do that, I don't have to. I want to provide for others and I want to provide for myself. And then Paul concludes his whole speech by quoting Jesus, who says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Really interesting. This is not found anywhere else in the Bible. So Jesus said that, but it's not in any of the Gospels, which is really fascinating. There's probably other things Jesus said that aren't in the Gospels. I don't think that should trip you up. In John, it says that like if we wrote books about everything Jesus did, the whole world couldn't fill all the books of all the things that he did. So there's just too much to do um, and too much to say. But apparently he said this at some point, and the early church seemed to know it. But the question is, like, what the heck does that mean? Like, what does it mean? And I'm asking this genuinely, like, by raised hands. What does it mean that it's more blessed to give than to receive? That's a weird thing to say. It sounds really holy, and it sounds good, but, like, what does it mean? Why is it more blessed to give than to receive? Any ideas? Yes. Uh, Elijah first, then Gage. I feel like you gain more when you give to others than when you receive something. It's just like, if, uh, for example, like a gift. Uh, for instance, I feel like it's bet you feel better and happier when you see someone else like get the gift that you give them. Okay. To see their face, their expression. Uh, not happy there compared to when you get it. Yeah, you're, you're happy, but it doesn't feel the same. Okay, so giving makes you feel good, so there's that. Yeah. Um, I think it's just uh, like, like putting others first and mm -hmm. uh, selfless love that Jesus had for us and God had for us and giving us his son as a sacrifice for us. Right. Uh, yeah, but why is that worth it? Why should I do that? Yeah, why should, what's, yeah, what's in it for me? Why should I, why should I do what the Lord wants? Shane? You get eternal life. Eternal life, so you're, yeah, so there's that. But you don't get it for what you do, by the way. You don't get oh, it just, no. you get it through Jesus, just so we're clarified. I know, I'm just like, wait, did Liam just say like, you get eternal life because you work for it. I'm like, that's not true. I know you didn't mean it that way. I just made it sound that way when I said it. And I'm like, that's not true. Yeah. Storing up treasures in heaven, for sure. Yeah. Jesus talks about that. Why is it more blessed to give than to receive? Uh, I, what I asked him is, like, why should, why should I do what the Lord wants me to do? He's like, oh, because, like, it's good to be selfless and to put others. But why is that a good thing for me? It's true. Because he told me, obedience, do what you're told, man. God says to do it, you got to do it. Say because it changes your heart. Mm. When you give for the Lord because He's calling you to it, you start to change. Yeah. In that, because you're doing it for the Lord, for people serving others, and so at first once maybe you were selfish. Now you're practicing what the Lord's calling you to. Not only do you grow in the rel
Yeah. You change yourself, bro. Yeah. Okay. That's totally legit. I, I think that's really good. Yes, Naomi. I don't know if this is like, I don't know if it's related, but I don't necessarily answer, but like, when you, you're just so full that you're able to get that out. It's like, you're mm. blessed because, like, you're actually, you're so close. You're, you're so full that you're able to pour out. I don't know. Yeah. Have. Yeah. I think to really answer this question, and I'm kind of poking at one particular thing, because really what I'm poking at is like, we can easily say that it's good to follow the Lord. Like, oh yeah, like, because it's what we're supposed to do. But like, I don't think duty is enough to do it. I don't think like, oh, you're supposed to do it is enough motivation to follow the Lord. I think that's what the Pharisees had, and they, they did it. Not exactly joyfully and not perfectly either. And Lord says their heart is far from me. So it's not just a sense of duty. There has to be something more. And like, yes, it feels good sometimes, Elijah, to your credit. But like, what about when people aren't happy? I think of pastors who give their lives for other people and then no one appreciates it. Like, oh man, I preach the gospel to you every week. And they're like, I wish you played different songs. I wish you taught differently. And I wish like the walls were painted a different color, like all these things. And it's like, dude, like I'm trying to pour my life out and I'm not being appreciated for it. And this is just the, what it is to be in ministry. And so I think the real answer to this question, it lies in the word blessed. Like, what does it mean to be blessed? Hashtag blessed. Like, what does it mean, right? Like, why do we say that? What does that even mean? Does someone know what the word blessed means? Shoot, she got the answer right away. I was expecting other things. I was expecting people to say other stuff, but yeah, that's exactly right. And guys, if you're taking notes, write this down. To be blessed is to be favored by God. That's what it means to be blessed. It means that you have a right relationship with God. Yes? When you say favored by God, doesn't God love everyone equally? He loves everyone equally. What I mean by favored with God is that you're in God's relationship is right. So you're not in rebellion against him. Okay. So, like, we're, if you're a believer, you're a son and daughter of God. Yeah. Or son or daughter of God. But, like, unbelievers are not. So it's not that God doesn't love them. It's just their position is different in the sense of like their relationship with God. Because when I accept Jesus, my relationship with God has been healed. Does that make sense? It's not fractured anymore. I'm like actually able to receive the blessings that God wants me to have. Yes, yeah. so. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I, but that's a good question though, for sure. Um, but to be blessed is to be favored by God. It means that we have joy and satisfaction because we have a right relationship with the Lord. There's a lot of physical blessings in this life. Like obviously there's food, comfortable clothes, Zelda, Taco Bell, like all those things. They're all physical blessings in this life. What? Super Smash Brothers. All my favorite things, guys. You know me so well. But yeah, Fortnite's not one of my favorite things, but it's okay. I've tried it, it's okay. But there's a state, and guys, this is important. There's like a state of internal satisfaction that comes from having a right relationship with God. It's like everything is well with me. It's actually what we were made for. We were made to know God and to be known by God. Like that was our job. And our job is to glorify and worship the Lord and have a relationship with him. Literally why we were made. Like more than having relationships with other people, more than serving other people, more than enjoying the physical blessings in this life. Like what we were made for is for Jesus, to worship him and to have a relationship with him. Shane, you with me? Yeah. Cool. Okay. But that's why, guys, that's why we can be blessed and joyful even when life is hard and we don't have any of those blessings that I just mentioned. 
when I don't have Taco Bell, when I don't have Smash Brothers, when honestly, and not just jokingly, like I don't have those things, but like when I don't have friends. There's been seasons of my life where I didn't really have any friends and I'm like, that sucks. Or like seasons of my life where, you know, I felt really alone or I didn't, I don't know, I was physically uncomfortable. If you've ever been sick, it's like that's stripped away from you. You can still have joy. Why? It's because my relationship with the Lord is right. So Jesus isn't saying that when you give, you have an easier life. Clearly, all these guys are about to have harder lives for what they're about to do. Or even that they're going to receive more material blessings. Or even, and this is really key because I think I see this a lot in the church, even that they'll necessarily live happier lives. Like it's not just, oh, I get to be happy all the time because I'm a Christian. Like that's just not true. You get to have joy because your relationship with the Lord is right. And that's much more full than happiness. But there will be times in life that are just bummers. And it's like, what do I do when that happens? It's like, oh my gosh, has God abandoned me? No, like he's with you. Because your relationship with the Lord, it never changes. It's always there. And that's the reward of fully surrendering our lives to the Lord. Does that make sense? It's like your relationship, it's kind of hard to explain. I was thinking when I was studying this for the middle schoolers, I'm like, how do I explain to them what this looks like? Ruben, you good? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that was a yawn. <laughs> One of the physical blessings that's been stripped away out of Reuben's life is sleep, apparently. So pray for him. He can still have joy, though, I promise. But verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And so after saying all these hard things... Paul, he kneels down and he prays with them. He's doing what he said he would. He's committing them to the Lord. And then everyone's super emotional, as you would be. Um, yes? Is he going to Jerusalem, which is across the world? Uh, it's not up there anymore. He's going to head to Jerusalem soon, yeah. So he's going to keep... Oh, yeah, he's still headed. So he's here. So that's where he's going. <laughs> Can't wait for all the podcast people to hear, just hear me go, shh. And then that's all they'll know because they don't get to see the map. But all three of the podcast people. Anyway, um, so Paul, even though they're all sad, as you would be, because everyone's very emotional, goodbyes are hard, even when it's the right thing to do, Paul still follows through. The Ephesians follow him and his crew back to the ship, and they sail away. And I wanted to take you guys back to the question I asked at the beginning of the study. And the question I asked was, why... Does he do this? Why does he suffer so much for the name of Jesus? And now that we've talked about this stuff, do any of you guys think you have an answer for why Paul keeps going? Any thoughts? Because of his love for God. That is exactly it. It's because... No, that's... sometimes the obvious answer is it. It's because he loves the Lord, but way more importantly than he loves the Lord, he's loved by the Lord, and that motivates him to do this. So... Because at this point, guys, and I want you guys to notice this, Paul has literally lost everything in his life for Jesus. It cost him his place among the Pharisees, cost him his honor. Everywhere he goes, he's publicly hated. He's literally been stoned once. He's literally been driven out of towns because people hate him. It's cost him physical comfort. Like I mentioned, he was like stoned to death with stones. He's been shipwrecked multiple times. He's been beaten. He's been lost at sea. He's had tons of sleepless nights. Every day he has anxiety for all the churches that he goes to. Um, that he cares about. It's not like he's always happy either. He's weeping a lot. I mean, multiple times in that same sermon, he mentioned tears. It's like, dude's really going through it, you know? And so he's constantly weeping and going through these things. And 
he's consistently had to say hard things to people, and now he's had to sacrifice his close friendships, and he's had to leave those people. And he has to leave the Ephesians he loves so dearly just so he can follow the will of the Lord to do what? To go and to suffer in Jerusalem. And you're like, bro, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Amanda. He's burnt out for sure. It sounds like that. When you read Second Corinthians, it sounds like he's been through a lot of stuff. So pretty burnt out. And it's like, why would he do all this? It's because the Lord loves him and he loves the Lord. And that's it. He's not doing it for money for fame, to please people, to have an easy life, even to have an, be happy all the time. Yeah, well, yeah, he's clearly not doing it to have an easy life, for sure. None of those things are the reason he's doing it. He's doing it because he has a relationship with Jesus, and that's the reward, is I get to know God. I get to have a relationship with him. Paul in Philippians, he writes out all the stuff he had going on in his life before he was a believer, how he was a real Hebrew if there ever was one, member of the tribe of Benjamin, that he was a Pharisee. That he, he was a tribe of Benjamin, yep. He obeyed the law without fault. He talks about all those things. And then after that, he says this in Philippians. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else Counting it all as garbage, more accurate translation of that word in Greek, by the way, is crap, like literal poop. So that I could gain, I'm not kidding, I'm dead serious. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. It's like, man, I literally consider it the worst of the worst. All those things I had. Not because they're bad. Some of them are pretty fine, I'm sure. Like being righteous, that's a good thing. Trying to follow the Lord, that's a good thing. But like in the face of knowing Jesus Christ, they're literal poop. Like, I would way rather just obey, like, follow and have a relationship with Jesus. And that's not, like, knowing facts about Jesus. Like, that's, like, knowing Jesus like a friend. Like, I don't know Barack Obama. Like, I don't have, like, a relationship with him. This is the example I thought of in middle school, and I'm just going to use it again. But I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know Obama, right? I could tell you facts about Obama. I could tell you that he served for eight years as president. He was elected in 2008 and 2012. I could tell you those things. What? Yeah. Yeah. He was eight years, and yeah, it was 2008. Ronald Reagan, that was like way before that. Anyway, bring it back in. Shh. But here's the deal, guys. I don't know Obama, right? But guess who I do know? I do know Jesus. Like, I actually know Jesus. I have a relationship with him. We talk every day. And like, this is the ultimate prize for Paul. This is why he keeps going. And guys, honestly, man, we as people, like, we can get so distracted with the things in life. There's all the fun you have with your family and friends. There's all your hobbies, like sports and theater and Super Smash Brothers and whatever else you're into. There's all Taco It's not a hobby, but I guess. There's, there's, dude, Taco Bell is my hobby, man. But there's, like, all the comfortable things I have in life, like eating good food and sleeping in a warm bed, playing video games, all those things. And those are all good things. I like those things. But here's the question. What are we going to do if God asks us to do something that's going to cost us one of those things? Like, what do we do if the Lord asks us to do something and it's going to cost us that thing? Do it. Maybe the Lord, you should do it. Maybe the Lord is asking you to spend like more of your free time in his word, in prayer, instead of playing video games or hanging out with your friends like you would as much. Maybe 
Like following the Lord for you in your life right now means not being popular at school because the popular kids at school, quite frankly, are living in sin and you shouldn't be doing that with them. And it's like, okay, maybe that's what it costs. Maybe the Lord's asking you to share the gospel with people who might not accept it. And quite frankly, they might hate you for it. Like, man, I don't want to hear that. Like, I don't want to say that'll happen to you, but it might. And it's like when following God hurts, which at some point it will in your life, following the Lord will hurt you. Paul says all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a guarantee. So when God, when following him hurts, what do we do? It's like, do we just give up? I don't think we have to. We don't have to because we can lose all those things in our lives and we can still have joy because our relationship with Jesus is the prize. That's the goal. Like, it's not the blessings he gives us. It's not the happiness he gives us. It is the fact that we know him. That's the sweetest thing. And guys, what's really cool is that our entire relationship with Jesus is built upon what he did. He is the firm foundation. He died on the cross for your sins. He's the one who paid the debt for your sin and was raised to life, which means that now it's unshakable. I always will have my relationship with Jesus. It's the treasure of my life. It doesn't go away. Guys, this is hard for me because I really struggle to have joy when life is hard. Those of you who know me personally, well, I, they will tell you, like, man, Liam really goes through it sometimes and he gets really down. And so, like, I have to really fight and wrestle with these things of, like, man, am I going to choose to throw a pity party when my life's hard? <laughs> and be like, man, God, I thought you loved me. And, like, oh, man, my life sucks. It's like, man, I know Jesus. My life does not suck. I have everything I could ever want. I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to tell you a story about a guy I knew. I've, some of you I've talked to. You, I've talked to some of you about him before. He was a friend of mine. He was an intern at the 10th Hour Project when I was a student there. His name was Benny. Um, he was a really great dude. He loved the Lord. Um, he had a lot of health problems, though. He had cystic fibrosis and a lot of other stuff. He had a double lung transplant. Um, so I know, yeah, a lot of stuff. Uh, both of his lungs were replaced. So um, he had gone through a lot. He was in and out of the hospital. Spent like a third of his life in the hospital. Um, and Benny, um, Benny actually passed away when he was early 30s. Um, so this was 2020, right before I moved here. Um, and it was sad because a lot of things Benny wanted to do in life, he never really got to. He wanted to serve Jesus more, but his health held him back a lot, and that really bummed him out. He was like a helpless romantic. He really wanted to be in a relationship, and Benny was a total catch. Loved Benny like any girl would have been lucky to have him. And uh, he never got married. And... Um, but most, I think what most people would pray for him and they'd see him as like, they really hope that he'd be healed. Let the Lord do a miraculous healing in his life. And that never happened either. And I remember Benny used to tell people, he would look at them and he would say, listen, like, or he told me he did this. He told me he talked to people. And when people would like pray that he'd be healed, he'd say like, man, even if like the Lord never does a single other thing for me in my life, like I have everything I ever need because Jesus has forgiven my sin. And like, he meant that, you know? Like, what the heck? How do you really mean that? Like, Benny was a sick dude. Like, when I visited him in the hospital, it was horrible. Like, he was really sick. And I'm like, how could he say that? How could he really mean that, oh man, I could gain nothing else in this life. My health declines, I don't get my dreams, I don't get to serve the way I want to, I'm satisfied. And it's like, why? It's because he knew the Lord and he loved Jesus. And like, that was enough for him, you know? And it's like, I think of me with so many more, I think, physical blessings than Benny had and how often I lack joy. 
and like I choose to be like a victim of my own circumstances and like oh man my life's so hard because of x y and z and it's like man shame on me you know shame on me for not realizing that I have like the true gift of a relationship with the Lord um so guys I pray that all of us would just really understand how much Jesus really loves us um that it would motivate us to love him it's like that's where that really comes from it's not from a sense of duty. It's not from, oh, I have to. It's because, man, like, the Lord loves you. And when you realize that he's your greatest treasure and can never be taken away from you, guys, you'll be, like, unstoppable for the kingdom of God. That's what Paul was made of. It's because he was firm in the fact that even when, though he was a sinner, even though people hated him, even though he lost his friends, the Lord would never leave him. In 2 Timothy, end of his life, he talks about being on trial, and he says, no one came to me. Literally no one. He's on trial. He's by himself. No one comes and stands with him. It's like, everybody abandoned me. But he says, but the Lord stood with me. That's so freaking cool, man. Like, that's awesome, right? Paul understands this. He's like, the Lord is the greatest gift I could ever have. And so I was talking to the junior hires about this. And I was like, I don't know if I really have, like, an application for you, except, like, to go home and to pray about this. Like, that's my encouragement to all of you, is, like, to go home and to ponder these things. Because I think only the Lord can reveal to you that he is the joy of your life. Like, it can't be like Liam tells you and you're like, oh, I guess this is how it's supposed to be. And now I have perfect joy because I think of Jesus. Um, I think of Jesus. He's talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He tells Nicodemus, what does he tell him? Does anyone remember? Was this last time? This is, no, this is a long, this is, we haven't talked about this. This is in John chapter 3. It's a famous thing. It's where John 3.16 is. He tells Nicodemus, that unless he does what, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What is it? Yes, all the way in the back. Okay. Unless born again. That's exactly it. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I think Jesus literally means, unless you've been born again, unless you've received the Holy Spirit and he's renewed you, you cannot see the kingdom of God. It doesn't make sense to you. And so like, my, that's why my application is to go home and to pray. It's like, pray that the Lord helps you to see this. That the Lord is the joy of your life. I promise you it'll change you. Like a proper understanding of the gospel and Jesus' love for you will change you way more than like trying to be a better person or trying to share the gospel more or being the good kid or whatever it is or hating sin, whatever it is. It's love for Jesus and his love for you that motivates you. Hey there. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Southeast Students Podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out more online by visiting our website at ccscportland.com. Hope you have a blessed week, and we'll see you later. Peace.